Hi, this is Dr. Ossa Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And, uh, you know, one of the, the crazy things about the podcast is uh, the the network of folks that I've been able to connect with. Um, and, and today's guest, I think the sort of all of the connections that have kind of brought us together um, is, is pretty crazy. I'm really excited about this. And, and I came to, I knew of my guest as a high school student. I'm going to talk about that because I would heard of this really talented percussionist out of my high school. And, um, and I, I remember there was a conversation among folks and then outside of, of his sphere in terms of where is he going to go to college? What is he going to do? Because he was this like uber talented student. And so, you know, I, I don't know, I guess it was over social media where I found you and, and sort of started following your trajectory. But before we jump into all of that, Jonathan, you mind introducing yourself to the audience out there? Of course. Thank you so much, Jose, for having me on this podcast. It's a delight and a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, my name is Jonathan Leal, and I'm currently living in Los Angeles. I teach at the University of Southern California, but born and raised in the 956 in the Rio Grande Valley. <laughs> so, Jonathan, thank you for joining us. And I ask all of my guests the same question. And we always start with, if you had to identify a starting point, for your educational journey, what would that starting point be for you? That is such a rich, generative and difficult to answer question. Um, so I like that you lead with it. Um, and for me, it's probably probably not an uncommon answer. Uh, but for me, it really starts with my family. Uh, I come from a family of educators um, and artists as well. Um, and everybody in my family, um, you know, variously positioned as they are, has been very supportive of me and everybody else in the family in terms of, you know, achieving educational goals, setting them, you know, imagining future possibilities. Um, and, you know, it could start with my parents. It could start with my grandparents, my dad, uh, who, you know, uh, he taught uh, high school biology and robotics uh, at Ed Couch Elsa. Um, my mother was a high school counselor, uh, my high school counselor, actually, uh, at Ed Couch Elsa. My tia was a piano teacher. Uh, my grandmother, maternal grandmother, uh, was a Spanish teacher and a PE coach and got a master's degree. Um, and uh, my grandfather was a longtime member of the PSJA school board, uh, as well as in 1975, um, the founder of the Hispanic Caucus of the National School Board. And so just as a young person, you know, I saw through their examples that education mattered in very deep ways. Um, and in ways that, you know, there were there was utility to it, but it wasn't just about utility. It wasn't just about acquiring a credential to go on to get a good job, which is important. But uh, for them, I could see that they just really cared about it. Um, the fact that they were teachers, they cared about mm -hmm. connecting with students and, and helping them out. So I just saw them as a young, a little young person and then thought, you know, maybe that's something that I could do myself. You know, you, you talk about sort of the seeing the value in education beyond just the utility, right? And, you know, when we're young, I, I think we all have aspirations about of doing not necessarily great things, I think, right? But we, we aspire to do something. And so when you were a kid, when you're growing up, what did you want to do? What did you want to do? Mm. 
that changed. Uh, it changed a lot uh, as I was going uh, going through school. Um, because my dad is a science teacher and, you know, um, he continues to be one of my heroes. Uh, I, I, I really wanted to be an astronomer when I was, a, when I was mm. a kid, I didn't really know what was entailed. I just knew I loved, you know, like daydreaming and, you know, kind of spacing out literally, um, like, like while looking up at the stars. And, um, so I, I wanted to do that for a while. Um, and then, you know, uh, I thought it would be cool at one point to like be a journalist because somebody used that word around me and I thought, Hey, I'd like to write. I like to, you know, think and interview people. Maybe I could do that. Um, but then everything changed when, um, I went to a drumline rehearsal that my cousin Ruby was involved with cause she was the section leader of her high school drumline. And I saw just how bombastic everything was. I felt the bass drums in my chest and saw how into it everyone was. And I thought I want to do music. I don't know what that's going to look like for me, but I want to do something with music. Um, so I work, yeah, I, I think the last 20 years I've worked with first year college students and in my work, a lot of the work that I do is helping them sort of find their path, find majors and careers and things. And, um, you know, my, I, I, I think about a class that I just most recently taught and I had a number of students that said they'd really love to pursue music, but, mm -hmm. but their parents don't don't think that there's a career there for them. Mm -hmm. And so, so, you know, the, um, we had a lot of conversations about that and about, mm -hmm. you know, well, if we pursue music, what would that look like? What do you want to do? What, how, how do you see music fitting into your life? And so we get a lot of influence from our parents and like there are a lot of conversations about, you know, what do you do? What do you intend to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Right. We're, what what kind of feedback did you get from your parents about pursuing music? I mean, you said your aunt was a piano teacher, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, so that's such a yeah, that's such a great question, and I think it's totally um, those conversations happen, you know, all over the place, you know, and with music specifically, but with with many things that are artistic. What are you going to do with that? You know, how is that mm -hmm. going to translate into a paycheck or into stability for you? Um, again, I was lucky because, um, you know, my, my, everybody in my family values music. Um, other than my aunt, nobody had found a way or was actively pursuing a way to make music a career. Everyone was mm -hmm. again committed to education. Um, so I guess it was kind of assumed that if I was going to do music, it was going to be as an educator. Um, but I, I was really, really excited by composition and by performance, which I started doing as soon as I could. And, uh, one of my fondest memories, you know, that I shared with my grandfather was, um, when I was in early high school at Ed Couch, um, I started doing these national competitions, uh, as a percussionist and, I was, you know, fortunate. I, I won two of them and he went with me to, to all of those. Uh, he took me with him uh, and we went to Nashville, which is where the first one was. Uh, we went to Columbus, Ohio, and he flew with me and we stayed in the same hotel together. And he was the one who was holding the video camera, cheering for me. Um, but because he was there with me and I could feel his support, um, doing this thing that was difficult for me and scary, but also what I was passionate about. Um, again, I didn't know how this was going to translate into a job. I just knew I loved doing it. And the fact that my family was very actively supporting me, like made me feel like 
I'll figure it out somehow. Yeah. You, um, you continue with music and obviously you're surrounded by educators. So college I imagine was a foregone conclusion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, for my parents, they were very, very active and my grandparents too, but everybody was very, um, proactive with me, you know, getting me to, to, to think about, okay, you know, how, how are you going to frame your college application? You know, what activities are you doing to make sure that you're going to be, you know, competitive and all of that? Where do you actually want to go to school? Um, and also the conversations that were happening at Ed Couch, you know, through the Llano Grande Center, um, you know, those were also very helpful. And I think I, I listened, I did some research. I listened to, um, to your, um, way to college podcast interview. And, uh, I didn't realize, were you on the very first East coast trip that Frank no. Ricardo put on? No, I, I was, uh, gosh, I went in 96. And so there were okay. at least, I think three or four, maybe the three or four before. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I went on the same trip. Um, and okay. at that point it was being run by, um, uh, Mr. Uh, Jack Hassel. Um, but so it was in the air, like everybody was talking about college at that point. Where did you want to go? Did you have a, a dream school in mind or? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I was confused. I didn't really know what I wanted. Um, I felt a lot of positive pressure to apply to East Coast schools. And I, and, and I was thinking for a while, especially after the visit, that maybe I would want to go to, to, to Brown because of their approach to um, the major, where it was mm-hmm. completely wide open. You could make your own thing, which appealed to me. Um, but ultimately, I decided on uh, the University of North Texas's College of Music because of how invested I was in music performance and because it's where my grandpa went um, to college uh, back in the mid-1950s. He went there originally as a music major and then he switched to business, but um, there was the fact that there was a family history there made it made it easier to say yes to that. You know, earlier before we start, or well, when we started, uh, I talked about sort of the conversations that were happening around you that, that I imagine, and, and I don't know, because because I think I, I heard these things secondary, right? But about, you know, you and about being really talented and thinking, why is he going to North Texas? Like of all places, he could probably go anywhere, but he's choosing North. And, and I think we, you know, we all have a story. And there's there's usually a story behind why, you know, some of the decisions that we make, a lot of the decisions we make. And so, you know, I'd never heard about that. I'd never heard mm-hmm. like, you know, the, your grandfather attended North Texas. Right. And mm-hmm. and how that became an easy decision for you. Um, so thank you. One, I appreciate you providing context to that. But yeah, yeah. Were, oh were you privy? Were you privy to those? Like, did were people telling you, you know, no, you know, you should do you should go to a quote unquote better school, right? Maybe. A, a, yeah. 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 I, I did feel that. And, and it was a scary thing, um, you know, for me to, to choose this other path. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I felt that I was only able to do that because I'd received so much support from everyone. Uh, it made, it made me feel at that young of an age that my perspective that I had one, first of all, and that it, that it mattered and, um, that, and also that I, 
you know, even if I, even if I didn't have everything figured out, I could be courageous and I could, I could choose something that, that felt like it was right for me at the time. Um, and also some more, some more connections. So the university of North Texas is in Denton, Texas, which is about 30 miles North of Dallas. Um, it's the school that offered the very first jazz studies degree in the entire country. And I think it's still the largest college of music in the country. My grandmother, so my grandfather's wife, my grandmother went to Texas Women's University, which is right down the street. Um, and my mom went to Texas Women's University. So three family members all went to Denton for college. And so it was lots of pressure, you know, like, oh, you could just go to Denton, you know, that would be fun. In the same way that some people feel like, oh, you should go to UT Austin because that's where yeah. so-and-so went or that's, you know. Um, so, yeah, I had that. And uh, and I was most of all just really grateful that people um, believed in me and um and, you know, hopefully I've been able to pass some of that on to, to students that I've had and gotten to work with and other people in the community, because it really does feel out of this world to feel like you, you know, um, that people believe you're capable of things. You, you know, thank you for that. You know, a question that just came came to me. What is it? And, and I, I don't know, maybe it's it's because of the folks that I've interviewed. Maybe it's just my network. Um, what was it about Ed Calchelsa? Is there anything about Ed Calchelsa that, um, maybe helped you throughout your journey? Hmm. Wow. Um, I mean, Ed Calchelsa is a really rich and complicated place, just like many places, but it, it has its own quirks and spe specificities. Um, the resilience and the the close knit network of people, you know, I think that, um, and I think it's something you've mentioned too. But the fact that, um, you know, that that everybody knew each other and they could look out for each other and you know make sure that, um, you know, you were on the right path. You know, it it, it made a, it was a significant you know, um, force for good for me to know that I couldn't misbehave in any of my classes because that <laughs> teacher knew my mom and <laughs> I would be in trouble when I got home or that teacher knew my dad and they would be on the phone. Um, and you know, it was like that for, for, for virtually everybody. Um, and also seeing the ways that, you know, if I would be out with my dad because he, you know, was a teacher there for many years, um, you know, when we would be in a couch going to like Whataburger or going to, you know, Pizza Hut or restaurant or something. And um, he would just run into these old students of his, um, you know, the kind of immediate bond that I saw there, even if it was kind of like jokey adversarial, like it was like, <laughs> oh, there's something special. There's something special about this place. Um, and, uh, and also, you know, beyond that, I mean, just the history of activism, you know, in the in the community, the walkouts, you know, the connection to the Chicano movement, um, you know, farm workers rights movement. I mean, it's just such a rich place and it often goes overlooked. Um, and so I think it's it's constantly remained, a, you know, a home for me, even though I haven't been there in, very, in a long time. Yeah. Well, thank you. You um, so you attend UNT mm -hmm. and. What was that transition like for you? Was it was it easy because you know family had gone and attended, or was it like a lot of college students, just difficult that first year? It was exciting. It was enriching, and it was really hard. <laughs> it was really hard. 
um, all of a sudden you're in charge of your own time. Yeah. You have to, <laughs> you have to learn how to you say no to things. Um, I made the mistake of being a little bit over ambitious my first semester. And I think I was, uh, the way it works for music students is that they're always overscheduled, but I was in my normal five classes and then in three or four different ensembles, which translated into something like 20 or 21 credits. And uh, it, every single hour of the day was scheduled out um, for that first semester. Wow. And I white knuckled it through and I, you know, I got, I got my, you know, good GPA and it was fine, but um, I, that was a really significant learning experience for me because, you know, what had been easy for me in the past, it just suddenly became difficult because there was so much to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it was great. I met a lot of really incredible musicians there and I had some really fantastic teachers that I'm still friends with and I got to travel the world being, you know, in percussion ensembles. It was really enriching and amazing. Um, but I also went through some significant changes while I was in school um, and it kind of comes back to maybe some of those conversations you were mentioning about like why is this person choosing to go there. Uh, when I when I was an undergrad, I started having these realizations that um, that was like, okay, I, I love playing, I love playing music, I love writing music. I'm finding myself in this kind of educational institutional space that is designed, you know, and it's it's nobody's fault, but it's designed to crank out music educators and people who will go and be competitive for orchestral um, you know, uh, performance positions, um, or go and audition for military bands or go on to graduate school for performance. Um, and I was like, I have questions. Like I grew up at the border and nope, like I want to figure out like how to connect all these different cultural interests and music and literature. And there is literally no time to do that because yeah. I have to go and practice what is being given to me to practice. Um, and so I had to make another kind of scary decision at, at one point. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep doing music and keep being in my performance ensembles, but I'm going to kind of change my focus or my concentration and do, uh, and do creative writing. Um, and so when I was finishing up at UNT, I was essentially graduating with a focus in, in creative writing literature with all these music credits. And I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? Now I have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I love that because, uh, you know, the getting back to that conversation about the utility in, 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 in our major, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember, so when I went away and, and uh, when I went away to Stanford, right, I thought, okay, I'm going to go to Stanford. I'm going to major in business. And because that's what folks did. Right. And then I, I found Chicano studies and, and comparative studies in race and ethnicity because because I had a lot of questions about growing up on the border. And for me, it was nobody ever taught me this. Right. I've got to go 2000 miles away to read Gloria and and a bunch of other folks and cultural theorists. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how, how how am I sitting in the middle of this space it, surrounded by all of this work? and have never been introduced to it, right? So I'm struggling with that. But then on the other end, my dad wants to know, can you get a job with Chicago Studies, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so as you're, as you're, you know, 
leaving, exiting UNT, are you think you know thinking about what's next? What were you thinking about? Yeah, I think that I mean, and what you've described too is is you know such a powerful experience, um, and uh, it's one that I noticed too, and in, in still in a lot of uh, undergrads that I get to work with, you know, they have these realizations like, wow, nobody taught me this. Like, I can't believe this is the first time I'm learning about these things that are relevant to my community. But why am I learning about it only now? Which is its whole separate issue, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about the future, not knowing what was going to come next. And, um, and so I, uh, essentially stayed on at UNT a little longer, um, to do, uh, I guess it's like the equivalent of like a co-term, like a, mm -hmm. like a master's, like, like leading out of the undergrad. And while I was doing that, I was working closely with some, uh, music faculty and some English, uh, faculty and uh, was thinking, well, the next logical step would be to try to apply for uh, graduate school somewhere because I don't have everything figured out. I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to have everything figured out, <laughs> but at least this would buy me time to maybe figure something out um, because because at that point I didn't have I didn't have the infrastructure set up. Um, and uh, and so I looked at a lot of different programs. I was interested in Chicano studies, uh, American studies. Um, and ultimately I, I applied for and, you know, the heavens parted and I got into uh, the program in modern thought and literature at Stanford, which uh, is completely wide open, interdisciplinary, undisciplinary. Um, and uh, the professor I applied, the two professors I applied to work with there are relatives of yours, Ramon Saldivar and Jose David Saldivar, both from Brownsville. It's a small world, right? It is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and the funny thing is, you know, when I applied to Stanford, I didn't, I'd never, I'd never met them. I'd never wow. met them, didn't know, wow. didn't know of them. And it wasn't until I think after I applied and, um, my father said, mentioned something very casually about, you know, I think my cousin teaches there. And I said, wait, what? <laughs> what? Um, so, so yeah, so we, you know, the, the day, the day of check-in and, and convocation, we, we reconnect. And so from my father, you know, I, I think, um, I, they hadn't seen each other and and gotten since they were 18 or 19. And so wow. they're about the same wow. age, Ramon and my father about the same age. And so that was the first, you know, they hadn't, like I said, there was a sort of family reunion there. That was the first time I met Ramon and the, the really, I'd only known about him for a few months and that, and I think maybe uh, a couple months before leaving uh, Frank, Frank Guajardo gave me a copy of Ramon's book. And he said, mm -hmm. he said, Hey, this is your, your cousin's book. I was his TA at UT, you know, and all of these, you know, what <laughs> I get another one of those moments of like, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, before, you know, you apply, you, you're thinking you, you want to work with them. How were you introduced to their work? Oh, wow. I was introduced to their work by uh, a really wonderful professor <clears throat> at UNT uh, who helped me with um, who helped me with a lot of the like research questions I had, you know, and introduced me also to the work of Amerigo Paredes, um, to Anzaldúa, to um, 
lots of Chicano writers who were active in the in the 70s. Um, and um, his name is uh, Javier Rodriguez uh, from Donna, I believe. And uh, so what's also been crucial, you know, to my experience, which is a, a great privilege, is that at every point um, when I was going through my schooling, there was always one key person who was a mentor from the valley at those different schools that I was at, yeah, yeah. Um, which made a big difference for me. Again, thinking like this is something I can do too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he gave me a copy of uh, Chicano Narrative and I started reading it and I couldn't stop reading it. I was like, oh my God, you can do that? What? Oh my goodness. And uh, and so I devoured that book and then all his other writing and was like, okay, I want to go and work with him. And I knew that he and Americo Paredes had been very close. And so it's like, I, I want to find my version um, not try to imitate anybody, but whatever my contribution is with my skill sets, learning from all of these elders, um, what what can I do to contribute to the conversation? Um, and so I applied with that kind of mentality and was very fortunate to get in and to spend six really wonderful years as a PhD student at Stanford. UNT, I'd catch also UNT Stanford. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was that experience like? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was it was hard moving further and further away from home. Um, and I was also doing it straight through. So I, I, I never did move back and, and spend a long period of time in the valley. I, would, I still come back multiple times a year to see family. Um, but when I was 18 and I left for college, I mean, um, I'm now 33 and I haven't I ha there hasn't been a time when I've lived back in the valley. Um, so at that at that point in my early 20s, when I was starting the the PhD, it was still like, oh, wow, I'm further away from home than I've ever been. Everything is so expensive in California. You know, is this like, can I actually stay here or not? I don't know what I want to do. I have so much coursework. Um, but but the actual experience of Stanford was really, really uh, phenomenal. Um, and the modern thought and literature or the MTL program specifically was was exactly what I needed and I didn't know it until I realized it because it is set up fundamentally to do a lot of the things that the thinkers that we both admire, you know, taking Anzaldúa as an example, um, were really doing in their work uh, to take all of the kind of assumptions about culture what knowledge is supposed to look like, what intellectual work is supposed to look like, and uh, to invert or to uh, depart from the value systems of the West, essentially, of like Western epistemologies, Western hierarchical conceptions of value, um, and to be culturally specific, uh, to be subversive, to be fearless. And so, um, I got to work with anthropologists and media theorists, people in the music department, people in comparative literature, comparative studies in race and ethnicity. Um, and all of it was basically trying to answer these questions that were coming from my, my life and the place that, that raised both of us, which is, you know, um, you know, in what, in what ways do people practice community at contested edges between nation states? How does music factor into that? Um, and in what ways can the arts help us all imagine, you know, not just better present possibilities for ourselves, but different types of communal arrangements mm -hmm. um, that don't mm -hmm. yet exist. 
you know, it's funny. You, um, I often tell my students, you know, I was good at doing school. And then I remember I, I didn't necessarily like school. I, I mean, I was good at doing school, but I wasn't excited about classes. Mm-hmm. And then I remember getting to college and, and I always tell them it was in college where I nerded out. It was in mm-hmm. college where I got mm-hmm. really excited because, because I, uh, there was space to ask questions mm-hmm. and, and really I could ask anything that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I, I've always been kind of this very reflective, introspective person who just, I just had a lot of questions and I never felt like I had the space to ask them. And so for college, for me, it, it gave me that space. Do you think it did the same for you? Mm. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. Uh, yes, but I think I got there later than you did. Mm. Um, I feel like it didn't real things didn't really click for me until graduate school. Um, I think when I was, and part of that was just because of of how intense my musical involvement was in high school, going into early college. Um, you know, and again, like feeling supported was was immense. Uh, an immense gift. But I did feel that um, I had all of these other questions, but because all of these people who loved me, who surrounded me were basically saying, you're really good at music. You need to do that. I almost didn't have that opportunity as a very young person to wonder what else I could end up doing because I was already being tracked into doing this. Um, And I know that a lot of young kids, especially now because of the way that college admissions tend to work and how competitive it is and, you know, how, how people feel they need to be involved in like 50 different extra, extracurricular activities and all of that, that there's this, all, all this pressure to have it figured out really young. Yeah. And, um, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's the healthiest thing for young people. I think they need room, like you're saying, to, to feel like they can explore. But an important part of that is, is feeling supported and, you know, feeling a sense of, of a general direction that education itself matters. What I focus on specifically, I can work that out, but you know, whatever it is, it's going to be coming from me. It's going to come yeah. from what I'm interested in. You're at Stanford, you know, you're, you're, you're asking these important questions, you know, things are, as you said, finally clicking for you. Mm-hmm. And as, as you're going through, are you thinking about, you know, I, I want to teach, I, I want to be a professor. What are you thinking about professionally? Like, mm-hmm. or I, I would say not the, what do I want to be when I grow up, but mm-hmm. sort of just what's mm-hmm. next? What's that next stage yeah. 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 Absolutely. I was. Um, I was worried about how am I going to pay the bills in this if I stay in this <laughs> excruciatingly expensive state? Like, how am I going to pay the bills out here? Um, yeah. No, I was worried about it. And um, and the academic job market is relentless and unforgiving. Uh, and you know, so for for myself, I I said I'm I'm going to go for it. I w- I would really be honored to be a professor. Um, I'm going to try, um, but I also know that I don't want to have, and I can't financially have the experience of of being on the academic professorial job market for many years. 
years in a row, which is, I know, you know, uh, a reality that a lot of people face. And so for me, it was like, I'm going to really go for it maybe one or two years. And, um, and if it works out, then it feels like it's meant to be. And if not, then I will figure something else out. I don't know what that's going to be, but I'll figure it out. So there's a theme, a theme here of like, you know, quiet faith, I guess that I don't know how it's going to work out, but something will happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and at the same time that I was applying for other positions, I was starting to get much more involved with uh, the arts, uh, communities, music communities in the Valley, uh, especially with, uh, really fantastic music producer um, based out of uh, his studio is now based out of Westlico, Charlie Vela. Um, and so he and I have released uh, two records together so far. Uh, and a third one is in development right now. And they're all very communally focused and, you know, driven by offering different kinds of representation of the Valley um, than you would see in kind of sensationalist media coverage. So I was doing that. And so I was imagining if maybe there's a, a future in which I end up moving back after graduating. Um, but, um, but then, you know, the, the, the heavens kind of directed me up uh, to Los Angeles. And so I've been here since uh, 2020 when I graduated. So. So in addition to making music, putting out mm -hmm. these, these amazing albums, you're, um, you're also teaching at yes. USC, correct? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so what is your, what is your title there? And, and tell us about what you're teaching. Hmm. So my title is I'm assistant professor of English, uh, at USC. And, um, I'm teaching a lot of classes. Uh, I mean, not a lot in terms of numbers, but I'm, t I'm teaching classes that are um, fundamentally based in many of the same questions that I was interested in and have been interested in all these years in music. Um, and the English department is flexible enough to, to allow me to do that uh, in literature, creative writing, in culture. Um, one of the most recent classes that uh, I got to do with students last semester was a class that was entirely about human and AI collaborative, you know, relationships, which is in advance of all the chat GPT stuff that's been happening and like everybody's been crazy about it. But we were talking about that, um, you know, back at last August and uh, it's been amazing. Um, you know, I think I think uh, USC is a very interesting place and I'm still getting a feel for what it's like to 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 be in that community. Um, but I've really been enjoying it and ultimately trying to apply many of the same lessons that, that, you know, I learned in the Valley, which is, and learned from my family, which is, uh, you know, if you, if you want to be a good teacher, you have to find a way to meet students where they are and get to know who they are. Um, and not feel like it's a top down relationship where you're just funneling content toward them. Mm, I love that. I love that. Mm. You know, um, Jonathan, I, I, um, you know, I want to be mindful of your time, man. Mm. And so, mm. um, yeah, as we, as we conclude, you know, I always ask my guests for advice. What advice mm. would you give students? And I, and here I'm going to, I'm going to give you, you sort of give you an option, right? I, I want you to think mm. about yeah, who is it that you want to give advice to? Is it the high school student that's trying to find their way? Is it the college student that's trying to make that transition and maybe figuring their their path out? Mm. Or is it someone trying to figure out their career path? Mm. So if you had to give advice to one of these audiences, mm -hmm. who would it be and what, what's the advice you want to give us? Mm. 
Man, I mean, if I could give advice to all three groups. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I think because I'm working with college students right now, I think I would maybe direct my feedback or my advice to to, to them, right? Folks who are already in college right now. Um, just to, you know, I, I speaking directly to college students, like I, I acknowledge that uh, that college is a, a time of life that you know comes with lots of new liberation and um, lots of fear for a lot of people because of that freedom, and also lots of pressure, uh, time pressure. You know, by when are you going to graduate? You know, how much debt are you accumulating if you are going into student debt? Um, how are you going to pay that off? And I think ultimately, if you can find a way to be motivated by what genuinely interests you, as opposed to motivated by fear, then I think you will ultimately be happier because you'll find the things that you actually want to do, as opposed to the things you feel like you should do. Mm, I love that. That's great. Oh, my goodness. Jonathan, thank you. Thank, thank you. you for your thank story. You. Um, and, and I, I know when we were connecting, I, I said, you know, I'd, I'd, we can go the route of you telling me about your story or the route of, of telling me about your research. And I, I would like to invite you back because I'd love to learn more about that. I, I find that it just because of my work, mm -hmm. a lot of my network is, is involved in higher ed. And, and I think, I don't know, growing up, like I said, I didn't know I was related to Ramon and Jose David and, and Sonia Saldivar Hall or any of these mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. and I never envisioned that I would go higher ed and that I would be a teacher and that I would find research so fascinating and that I, like mm -hmm. I said, I'd nerd out on these things. Yeah. And so to see and to meet other people, especially other people of color, mm -hmm. to find spaces where, okay, I, I'm not present or I don't see people present like me in particular texts in curriculum mm -hmm. in, in these mm -hmm. spaces, I can create those opportunities. Mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. ask those questions and I can do that research. I can do the work that is interesting to me, fascinates me. And so yeah. I'd love to invite you back because I want to know more. I want to learn more about the work that you're doing, the albums that you're working on and, mm -hmm. and, and, and other future projects that you have in mind, because I know you've got future projects. Like, yeah, you're already thinking about other stuff that you want to be doing. <laughs> I want to know about that stuff. Um, but but to also, I think maybe to show other, you know, other people of color and people from the Valley that, you know, they could do this. They could do Absolutely. this kind of work. And in fact, they need, they should do this kind of work, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I would be honored. So I'd I would be honored to come back. back. <laughs> thank you so awesome. much. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So Jonathan, thank you. Thank you again for your story. Thank you for walking us through and, and taking us through your journey. Um, you know, this concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thanks to, to our guest, uh, Dr. Jonathan Leal. And uh, and all of our, our listeners out there, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, like, all of that stuff. And we'll see you next time. Thank you and uh, bye-bye.